Thank you for choosing the podcast of East Haven Baptist Church in Brookhaven, Mississippi. For more information on the ministries of East Haven and to access videos and sermon notes from our services, visit www.easthaven.net. Well, even his, his very name, Ezekiel, meant the Lord will strengthen. The Lord will strengthen. But even those words of hope in Ezekiel's time seem so far away from the reality that God's people were experiencing. And we're going to be in Ezekiel chapter 37 today. Uh, a well-known passage, even many people who, who don't know much about the Bible have heard some of the things that are found in Ezekiel 37. But Ezekiel and the people of God are in a very, very difficult predicament. They have been exiled from the land that God had promised to them, and they had been taken by force by the nation of Babylon, and they were going to live in Babylon. The Babylonian captivity is what it was called. And just to give you an overview If you look through the Bible and you look through with a particular thematic lens, you will probably be surprised how many times you find a particular uh, kind of a step-by-step process that you could take an overlay in many different circumstances and situations in the Bible. And that is a, a template or a lens of the judgment of God leading to exile from a life with God, and then a restoration to that life with God. So you go from judgment to exile, and then from exile to restoration. And you find that pattern all throughout the Bible. And so we find that Israel and Judah, they had committed some evils. And that evil, or those evils, centered around, namely, idolatry. And you find that that southern kingdom of Judah, where Jerusalem was located, you find that Judah was called on the carpet multiple times by God, forsake your idols, turn away from the idols, worship me, the only true God, worship me, the living God, not some dead idol, give me your trust, give me your faith, give me your worship, give me the honor that is due me, do not share that honor with anyone else. And we find that time and time and time again, they kept clinging to idols. Time and time again, God warned them, and time and time again, they turned away. And so we find this pattern of judgment for their idolatry leading to exiled from God, and then God ultimately will restore. But we find, as we're reading Ezekiel, Ezekiel is written in the midst of that exile. In 597 BC, the Babylonians carried off the first group, the first deportation group of people from the land to Babylon. Thousands upon thousands of of Jewish people were displaced, they were taken, and they were carted off and, and led off, marched off into a foreign land to live there. And and this one this one period of time, you find multiple writers in the Bible dealing with it. You find Jeremiah, he's warning them, turn away from your idols because God's going to send judgment. Habakkuk says, God is sending judgment in the form of the Babylonians. 
And of course, we have Ezekiel, and Ezekiel's written while they are in exile, while they are in captivity. We find that Daniel was written while Daniel was in captivity. Ezekiel was taken during that first group, or in that first group, Daniel was taken as part of that first group as well. You read through the book of Lamentations, and you find that Lamentations is the mourning about the destruction of Jerusalem. If you look in the Psalms, if you go to Psalm 137, all of Psalm 137 is about being there in exile and hearing of the destruction of the the holy city. And then you get down to Ezra and Nehemiah, and Ezra and Nehemiah are about the return and the rebuilding. So all of these books of the Bible all center around and are connected to this Babylonian captivity. But today, what I want us to look at is Ezekiel 37. Because Ezekiel has a vision in Ezekiel 37. And in this vision, Ezekiel is given this incredible object lesson from God. Now, it's important to understand, if you go to the book of Ezekiel, and you say, I'm just going to read through the book of Ezekiel for some light reading, and it should be easy to understand and easy to grasp, can I tell you there are plenty of other books in the Bible that you should probably start with if that is your intent. The, the book of Ezekiel is full of visions and object lessons and such fantastical imagery that it, it, it just, it's, it's mind-blowing and it's so dense in certain places. You really have to, you really have to, to dig. And so we find that in Ezekiel chapter 37, Ezekiel has this vision. We're going to start in verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. Let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this morning. We ask that in our time together that you would speak. We ask that you would give us encouragement. You would strengthen us. Ezekiel's name, the Lord will strengthen. Father, we pray that you would do just that this morning from your word, from the book of Ezekiel, the book entitled, The Lord Will Strengthen. We ask that you would do just that. And we just give this time to you. May you use it as you see fit. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we're talking about this idea of dry bones and words of life because Ezekiel is looking out at this this valley and some people have said what where was this valley well it's a vision he's having it doesn't say that it's necessarily a true real valley but he's having this this vision and God has taken him in this vision and set him down in the midst of this valley now let me go ahead and preface with something so many times we if we're not careful we'll make an error in the way that we approach scripture and we will approach scripture and we will say okay i'm finding this in the old testament so uh, this is about me right now when in, in reality it may be about israel and it may be a promise given to israel and sometimes we want to take that and say well that applies to me not necessarily and so we may find certain things and say oh well here's this is what god is saying through this so i want us to be careful with that because i want us to look at what god is is telling Ezekiel and what is what God is telling Ezekiel regarding the people of God specifically but then I want us to take some of the general principles that we find in here I want us to 
see how we can apply these to our lives, uh, recognizing that these things are written uh, for our understanding, and these things are written so that we can have examples, but so we, we want to be careful and balance that out. So I'm not saying there's a one-to-one, well, this, God promised this to Ezekiel, so God also promises this to us. That's, that's, not, what, that's not what the Bible says, and that's not how we, how we use it. But I do want us to look at, uh, at what God is telling uh, the nation of Judah and what we can learn from that. But first of all, you find that God shows Ezekiel just the desperate situation that he's in. God shows this desperate situation. And, and kind of our point of this, that conditions may seem hopeless. Notice what God does with Ezekiel. He takes him to this valley of dry bones. And, he, and notice what it says. He set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. But God's not content with just setting Ezekiel down in the middle of the valley of dry bones. Then notice verse 2. And he led me around among them. So God puts Ezekiel in a valley of dry bones. And then he says, now let's, let's, let's go for a walk, Ezekiel. Let's walk around and let's, let's let you look at these and see exactly how bad things are. And Ezekiel comments, and behold, they were very dry. There's a lot going on here. We find a little later, as we're going to look this morning, that those bones were also scattered. It wasn't just a skeleton laying there, all pre-assembled. They were scattered about, we we find. So there's dry bones. Notice they're not fresh bones, they're dry bones, meaning they've been dry for a while. But not only have they been dry for a while, um, they are scattered. So they're dead, that's clear, dead dead, right? Because they're not fresh bones, they're dry bones. And they're scattered, so they're, they're dead and they're displaced. They're disconnected. And then not only that, they're laying all over the surface of the valley. Something we normally miss when we read this passage. That was a disgrace. You were to bury the dead. For a Jewish person, for the dead to be exposed to the elements, for the bones to be exposed to the elements, that was a mark of disgrace. So you've got God letting Ezekiel see that my people, my nation, they're dead, they're dry, they're disconnected, they're disgraced. All of these things, are, he's letting him see this, how desperate the situation is, it truly is. And sometimes God will walk us through our own valley of dry bones to let us see the depth of the situation and the reality of the situation that we may be walking through and facing. And that's exactly what's happening. Because God knows something that we tend to forget. That his promise is most precious when our problem is most prevalent. Whenever we really see the depth of our problem, we really see the clarity of our problem. When our problem is very prevalent and we can see it and grasp it with a newfound clarity, then we start seeing that his promises become extraordinarily precious to us. And so God is letting Ezekiel see this is the desperation of the situation and the situation seems hopeless. If you look through the Bible, you find that this idea of life and death It's a thread that runs throughout the Bible. You find in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 3, verse 1, to the angel of the church in Sardis write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works, you have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. 
So, so God, speaking to the church at Sardis, John's writing this letter. And the idea is that that particular church at Sardis, it looks alive. It's a busy church. They're doing a lot of works. But God says, but you're, but you're dead. And so sometimes we need to have a clear view of the reality of our situation. We need to have a clear view of what's really going on. And we need God to point that out. And in the case of Ezekiel, God walks him around, letting him get the fullness, the richness, and the depth of this vision. Behold, they were very dry. It's interesting because that image is very similar if not the death aspect of it, is exactly the same as we are before Christ. Listen to what Paul writes to the church at Ephesus. This is in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you were dead, not sick, not limping, not a little bad off. No, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, Notice it's not just you were dead in your sins, but you were also following the leading of the world. You were also following the leading of Satan. That's what he's saying. He's letting you see exactly how bad off we were. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So this is all inclusive everybody's included in this. Everybody is walking this way. See, what happens is so many times we like to think of ourselves as maybe just a little bit less dead than somebody else. No. Paul says we're all in the same boat without Christ. We're all dead in our sins and our trespasses. And then we find in verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You see, Ephesians 2, 4 and following, that's only great news when you understand what went on in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. When you understand you were dead in your trespasses and sins, you, when you understand that you were following the course of the world, when you understand that you were following satanic leadings, when you understand that, that you were by nature a child of wrath, then you get to verse 4 and but God. There's this, that, that great change that takes place there. But God, he's rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even while we were still dead, even while we were sinners, even when we were separated from him, God showed his love in sending Jesus. So we find that like us, Ezekiel gets a view of the severity of the situation. He understands how desperate the situation is. Behold, these bones are very dry and the conditions may seem hopeless. So many times we face situations and we face conditions that look hopeless. They look like there's no good that can come of this. I mean, you look at everything going on in our country right now, right? We've got a hurricane bearing down on us. We've got all sorts of foreign concerns and, and all sorts of just terrible things happening in Afghanistan. And, and we've got all sorts of things happening within our own country. And you look at this and you say, oh, my goodness, this is so hopeless. You know what my prayer is? My prayer is that maybe God is just allowing us to walk through a valley of dry bones so we can see absolutely just how bad it really is. 
Maybe we don't know. Oh, we think we know because we, we consume a daily, a, a daily diet of, of, you know, of, of, of cable news or something like that. But no, I really don't think we know the depth of the spiritual death and dryness that we have as a nation. And I think if we did, I think maybe, just maybe, some of our prayers would shift more towards spiritual things and not just God fix the immediate. But we need to understand that we, we have desperate situations. And we need to understand that sometimes those conditions seem hopeless. But look at what happens next. Look at verse 3. And he, that's God, he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O oh Lord God, you know. Son of man, can these bones live? What an odd question, right? What an odd question. You see what God is doing? God is is pointing out not just these conditions, but he is pointing out these humbling limitations. He's telling Ezekiel, Ezekiel, can these bones live? Can, 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 Can anything be done with these bones, Ezekiel? Because he's pointing out these humbling limitations, and we also have to understand that our human abilities create no eternal change. Now, I know some people would argue that, and yeah, it can. Well, okay, negatively, if we depend on them, yeah. And, you know, we're, we're, we'll be separated from God. So, I mean, yeah, I guess it, it does create something that's eternal, but I would argue that's not really a change. That's where we're headed anyway without Jesus. But the point being, our human abilities can create no eternal change. We can't create any sort of lasting spiritual change by our human abilities. And God is letting Ezekiel know. Notice what he says. He says, son of man, can these, can these bones live? Son of man, that is a term, a title that refers to utter and complete humanity. Now you say, but wait, Jesus used that phrase, son of man. Yes, because Jesus identified fully as human. But I thought, some might say, but I thought he was fully God too. Yes, that too. That's God's math. 100% God plus 100% man equals 100% Jesus. That's how he's not 50% God, 50% man equals 100% Jesus. No, he's fully God and he's fully man. And that is Jesus, right? So he's all God and he's all man, both at the same time. How does that work? I don't know because I'm all man. So I don't understand the, 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 all the mystery that's involved with that. Nobody does. It is a mystery. But my point being, he tells Ezekiel, hey, son of man, let me give you another way of saying it. Hey, human being, little human being, created being, can these bones live? And Ezekiel gives the right answer. Well, Lord, you know, I don't know what you're getting at, but uh, you're the only one that knows the answer to that, Lord, not me. Now, sadly, if it were left to most churches in America today, if God said, son of man, can these bones live? We would say, oh yeah, yeah, they can. Just, hey, let me get on it. All right? Knee bone, thigh bone. Got to remember the song, right? And you're going to put it together and we'll, somebody get the paddles. We're going to resuscitate these bones. We're going to do it ourselves. No, no. God's letting Ezekiel know this is only going to happen if I do the work. You can't do anything about this, Ezekiel. 
There's nothing that you are going to be able to do in your abilities, in your power to create a lasting eternal change with these dry bones. You've seen the desperation of the situation and now I'm letting you know your humbling limitations so that you will understand that if anything happens in this valley, it's going to be me. God will sometimes let us get in one of those situations. Let me ask this. Has God ever allowed you to go down that road of trying and exhausting all of your own personal human efforts to accomplish something and God just lets you do that? Just, okay, go ahead. See how that works, right? And you try it and you fail and you try it and you fail and you try it and you fail. There was a friend of mine that I used to hike with a great deal when I first moved to Tennessee and one night we, we had been hiking, we had done a night hike and we were coming back and he pulls over, we're, we're driving down through Gatlinburg. I don't even know if these are still there, but we're driving down through Gatlinburg and there uh, on a sidewalk, there were some bricks that were inlaid all in this area of sidewalk. And it's late, we had been up on top of the mountain and, and uh, we were driving back and he pulls over there on the side of the, side of the street in Gatlinburg. His name was Bob. And I said, Bob, what are you doing? He said, it's midnight in Gatlinburg. All right. And it's the off season. There's nobody here. Nobody cares if I park here on the side of the street. I want to show you something. Climb out. So I said, what are we doing in Gatlinburg? Middle of the night, standing on the sidewalk, looking down at our feet. And he said, no, my wife and I, uh, we we found out the city of Gatlinburg was doing a fundraiser. And they were asking people to purchase these little paving bricks and you could have whatever engraved on that brick you wanted. And so I want to show you our brick. Bob, it's midnight, man. We've been walking for miles. The last thing I want to do is climb out in this cold weather and look at a brick. And he's like, no, come here, look. And so we, we walk down the sidewalk and he finally finds it. And he goes, read that. And all it said was this, now, comma, try Jesus. And I said, what led to that? He said, well, all I could think was maybe somebody's walking down here through Gatlinburg. Maybe their vacation hasn't turned out like they want to turn out. Maybe they're just struggling with some stuff that nobody knows about. And they're just, you know, doing what normal people do whenever they get down and out, they're just looking down and they're just down and dejected. And maybe they're just wondering, what am I supposed to do next? And maybe they're just going to walk along and look down and just see a sign He said, from God that just says, now try Jesus. After you've exhausted all your efforts, all your human efforts, now maybe you should do the thing that you should have tried first, which is take it to Jesus. I thought, that's all right. I get out of the car at midnight on the side of the road in Gatlinburg, look at a brick that says, now try Jesus. Yeah, okay. But sometimes God will allow you to exhaust all of your efforts. He will allow you to exhaust all of your resources so that you get brought back to him sometimes he puts you in those desperate situations he puts you like he did ezekiel in the valley of dry bones so that you can see just how humbling your limitations are listen to zechariah chapter 4 verse 6 then he said to me this is the word of the lord to zerubbabel not by might nor by power but by my spirit says the lord of hosts how is god going to work not by human might not by human power but by his spirit And this is a work of God. We find the same thing with our salvation. 
Listen to John chapter 1, verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood. That's not, not of some sort of earthly lineage. Nor of the will of the flesh. Nor of the will of man. But of God. God's the one who did it. It wasn't, that, it wasn't that we woke up one day and thought, I'm just going to seek out God. I'm going to go find God. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find God, and I'm going to seek him out, and I'm going to run him down, and I'm going to... No, no. Salvation is God's idea. God's the one who initiates this. And so we find that because of that, because of our humbling limitations, we also recognize God's the only one we get to brag on. It's not that we come to salvation and we're able to say, well, look at me. Yeah. I got it all together, figured it all out. No, no, that's not the way it works. It's a work of God. So that God is the one who gets bragged on. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 28, Paul writes, God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, because of him, because of him, him you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that as it is written let the one who boasts boast in the Lord if we're going to brag on anybody we have to brag on God because our human abilities can create no lasting change nothing that we can work up is going to work out we can't do it ourselves and God puts Ezekiel in the middle of the valley of dry bones and lets him see the desperation of the situation. He points out his humbling limitations. You're just a human being. Can these dry bones live? And Ezekiel says, Lord, you, you know. And then we have what follows. What follows is one of the most vivid visions that we find in the Bible. It's also one of probably the most disturbing ones. It would make a great, it would make a great uh, computer-generated image in a movie. There's a supernatural restoration that takes place because true, transform true transformation depends upon God's word and the Holy Spirit. Look at what happens, verse 4. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Nobody else find that weird. O dry bones, O dead, scattered, dry, displaced bones. Hear the word of the Lord. Hear what I'm saying. It's a work of God, right? Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones. Behold, I will cause breath to enter you. You shall live. I will lay sinews upon you. And I will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you. And you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound. And behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. So here's Ezekiel, he prophesies to the bones. And there's this rattling sound. Some translations say there was an earthquake. There's this rattling sound, and these bones are moving across the surface of the valley and one bone is connecting to another bone to the correct bones and the bones start connecting and then sinews start to form and linking bone to bone and and then you find muscle tissue and organs and then the 
skin covers these, these bones that were once dry bones and now there are bodies lying all over the place. But notice what Ezekiel says, there's no breath in them. There's still no breath. I think so many times probably within the church we stop there. Oh, it looks good, but, but there, unless there's breath, there's no life. Then look what happens. Then he said to me, verse 9, prophesy to the breath. By the way, that word for breath that's used in the Old Testament is the same word that's also used for spirit. Prophesy to the breath, prophesy to the spirit. Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Exceedingly great, that's also a phrase that can be translated full of power. And it's an army. Notice he doesn't say an exceedingly great audience. No, an exceedingly great army. Then he goes on in verse 11. And he says that these bones, that is the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. So God is letting Ezekiel know, listen, there's a supernatural restoration that's coming. But this true transformation This true revival that's going to take place, it's dependent upon my word and my spirit. Not you, son of man. Not you, human being. Not you, created one. Oh, no. It's dependent upon me. Well, you say, well, that sounds really odd. Not so odd. This is how our story begins. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. We are dependent upon God for life, for breath, for all things, according to the Bible. And so we go before God, and we recognize that whenever we go out, we use the Word of God and the Spirit of God. That's what brings true transformation. Ezekiel doesn't lay hands on the bones and try to do something himself by his own power. He doesn't take hands to it and try to assemble them himself. No, he's dependent upon the word of God and the spirit of God. And and so too are we. This is why it's so important we depend upon the word of God and the spirit of God. Because the same thing that happens with the, the nation with God doing a work in them and breathing life into them. It's the same thing that happens whenever we're sharing the gospel. I've had, you, look at, you look at the book of Acts. We don't have time to go there, but you look at the book of Acts. In the beginning of the book of Acts, Jesus tells the disciples, wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. The promise of the Father, the promised Holy Spirit. And then Jesus tells them, you'll receive power power when the holy spirit has come upon you and then after you receive power he says and you will be my witnesses in jerusalem judea samaria and to the ends of the earth notice what jesus doesn't say he doesn't say wait in jerusalem until the apostles create an evangelism program he doesn't tell them that wait until somebody comes up with a plan no he says once you have the holy spirit you have everything you need I've had people, you know, tell me like, well, things just haven't been the same since we didn't have an evangelism program. You got an evangelism program. It's called the word of God and the Holy Spirit. And and we live that out by our lifestyle. We share Christ with people. Well, it'd be easier if I had a program. No, it'd be easier if you were just obedient. That's pretty simple. 
right? We're obedient to the call of God. We use the word of God and the spirit of God. We don't have to browbeat people, you know, into accepting the gospel. And we don't have to go to people and we don't have to say, okay, I'm going to give you this, this grand, this grand, incredible, carefully laid out. I'm going to answer every objection you have. There's nothing wrong with apologetics. Okay. By the way, but I'm saying if we can convince them by these human means, then we don't need the spirit and we don't need the word of God. And so we have to depend upon the word of God and the spirit of God. Isaiah 55, 11, the words of God. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth, and it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. That's why we share the gospel. And we say, yeah, but if it, and people say, yeah, well, it doesn't make any sense. Well, not from a human perspective. Paul illustrates this, First uh, Corinthians one twenty one. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, that is human wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. We need to be foolishly confident in the word of God. And well, but what if the world doesn't accept me? Well, can I just give you a heads up? They're not going to. They're, they're, they're not going to accept the message. They're not. Not unless the Holy Spirit's working in them, they're not going to accept that. They're going to think it's absolutely ridiculous. You know, whenever we share the gospel, people say, that is ridiculous. Okay. Yeah. All right. And, and, and I, I don't understand. It's, it's really hard. It's like Jesus was completely and totally rejected and, and then died on the cross, experienced complete and total rejection. Yet for some reason, we expect the world to fully accept and embrace, embrace our message and to fully accept and give credence to what we're saying. Y- y'all do realize that that's a, it's a work of God. And, but we, that's what we have. We have the word of God and we have the spirit of God. And if you have the word of God and you have the spirit of God, you are fully equipped to go do the will of God. You can do, nothing is going to keep you from doing the will of God except your own volition. When you have the spirit of God and the word of God, you you know God's will and then God is empowering you to accomplish his will. Nothing should stop us from doing that. And so God is showing Ezekiel, listen, it's by my word. It's by my spirit. And I bring life. Notice what God says in Ezekiel 37. Notice what God says he will do. Verse 12. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves. O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know, that's passive, right? I mean, they're going to actively know, but they're not actually doing something. You shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves. O my people, and I. I will put my spirit within you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it, declares the Lord. There's a lot of I will, I will, I will in there. And there's a little bit of you will know and you will live because I am doing what I am doing. Where is it in your life? that you need to be utterly and completely dependent upon the word of God and the spirit of God. 
that as, as one of the sons or daughters of man, you've been adding to the work of God by your own hand. And God is saying, it's by my word and by my spirit. Trust my word, trust my spirit. Depend upon my word, depend upon my spirit. Yeah, but I also think, once you go down that line of reasoning, yeah, but I also think you've already started diluting it. No, by my word and by my spirit. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23. Listen to what Peter writes about our salvation. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God of God. How, how are we brought from death, spiritual death to spiritual life? By the living and abiding word of God. How are we brought from a valley of dry bones to become a member of an exceedingly great army? By the living and abiding word of God. And the spirit of God that empowers us to do his will. I don't, know, I don't know where you are in this as we're wrapping up this series about revival. I don't know where you are in your personal walk with God. But here's what I know. There is nothing of eternal consequence that is ever accomplished by our own hand. It doesn't happen. We can't work it up. We don't manipulate it. We don't, we don't orchestrate it. We, don't, we, we can't. It may look good from the outside. It may look good for a time. It may bring some excitement for a time. But unless God is in the midst of it, unless his word and his spirit are at work in us, it's not going to last. It doesn't matter. When God's spirit and God's word are at work, here's what we know. God's word, it's eternal. God's spirit being the Holy Spirit, God himself, eternal. So when we're dependent upon the the word of God and we're dependent upon the spirit of God to work in us and through us, do you realize what that produces? If we're dependent upon that, truly dependent, the only thing that the word of God and the spirit of God can produce is something that is lasting and eternal and brings glory and honor and praise to God. And so if, if there's anything in your life right now is you're looking at it and you're saying, yeah, but I'm trying to take God and I'm trying to add some things on so I can kind of manage it and I can kind of be in control of it. Can I just tell you, that won't ever work. Heard an old pastor say one time, he said that uh, he was preaching one time and a guy came up to him and said, I want to have the same kind of power of the Holy Spirit in my life that you do. He said, and I looked at him and I said, well, I'll tell you what you need to do. He says, right now, he says, it's like you're in the driver's seat. He said, you need to scoot over and you need to give Jesus the key and let him drive. He said, and then I looked at the guy and I said, no, you know what? He said, I know you because I know me. That won't ever work. You need to get in the back seat. And you need to tell Jesus, 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 you, 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 you drive and you, and he says, and then the more I talked to him, the more I realized, I said, no, you know what? That's not gonna work either for you. He said, you need to get the key. You need to get out of the car. You need to walk around to the back. You need to pop the trunk. You need to climb in the trunk and you need to hand the key to Jesus and say, go wherever you want, fill it up with whatever you want. I'm just along for the ride and close the trunk on yourself. He said, that's what you need to do. Listen, we have to surrender fully to the word of God and the spirit of God to see the work of God accomplished in our lives and through our lives. And for some people who may be here, some people who may be watching or listening, it may be that you're in that valley of dry bones because you've never received the Spirit of God. If you've never received salvation, 
And today, let that be the day that you say yes to God, that you say yes, God, I I am dead in my trespasses and sins, and I'm going to trust Christ today for my for my eternal future. I trust what he did on the cross. I trust that he died and he, he was buried and he rose again. He died in my place so that I might be forgiven of my sins. And then there may be some of us here today who are saying, ah, oh, I needed a reminder that I'm just a son or a daughter of man, that I'm just a human being, that I'm fallible, I'm frail, I'm, I'm, I'm fragile. That, I, that, that, that I, I can't produce anything of lasting eternal consequence by my own power. God, I need you to work by your word and by your spirit. Maybe it's somebody you've been talking to about Jesus. Maybe you've been sharing the gospel with someone and you've been tempted to, to alter it or change it or to do something to make it more acceptable or make it a little less bold or to make it a little more you know palatable to them maybe you want to maybe sugarcoat it a little bit can i just tell you don't don't do that be honest be loving be true be full of grace be full of love but at the same time depend upon the word of god depend upon the spirit of god let's pray lord god we come before you god we recognize that your word and your spirit that's how you That's how you work in us. That's how you work through us. It's by your word and by your spirit. And so many times we come up with all sorts of excuses as to why we're not in your word, why we don't know your word, why we don't stay close to you and abide in your word. And then we have all sorts of reasons why we don't want to depend upon your spirit. We don't want to give up control. Or it feels strange or... We have a host of other reasons we may use, all of which are reasons and excuses that we use to continue to depend upon ourselves or depend upon other things, those lesser things that we want to use and we want to substitute them in the place of you. And in doing so, they become idols. And we just continue this cycle, Lord God. So God, I pray that today, wherever it is in each of our lives that we may be most tempted to depend upon someone or something other than you, wherever we might be tempted to extend our own hand to try to fix things ourselves instead of depending upon your word and your spirit, whatever dry uh, valley of dry bones that we may be in the middle of and you may be walking us around and showing us just how incredibly desperate the situation is, Father, I pray that we would remember Ezekiel, not just this message, but even his name. The Lord will strengthen. Give us that strength. Give us the strength to see clearly the reality of our situation. Give us the strength so that we may be able to humbly confess and admit that in and of ourselves, we don't have any power to affect an eternal change. And give us Give us the strength that comes from utter and complete reliance upon you for that transformation. Father, I pray if anybody has any decision that needs to be made today, I pray that you would grant your boldness in doing that. If there's a prayer concern, if there's a question, if there's some other need, Father, we pray that you would work and you would work by your word and by your spirit for your glory. And we ask these things in Jesus' name.
Amen.